On this week's Up In Your Business with Kerry McCoy, we're going to revisit a couple of interviews because there's been an evolution in the restaurant downtown Little Rock, South on Main. The Nashville Scene newspaper reports that Little Rock chef Matt Bell is selling South on Main to new ownership. He'll be taking over as executive chef at Gray and Dudley in Nashville. In March of 2019, Carrie visited with Matt Bell. Born in Missoula, Montana. Schooled at Le Cordon Bleu. Le Cordon Bleu. Le Cordon Bleu Culinary Arts in Austin, Texas. Mm -hmm. This creative chef fell in love with an Arkansan and lucky for us, followed his heart and her home to the capital city where he landed a job at Capitol Hotel's fine dining establishment. After a four-year stint as sous chef at said restaurant, Matt, along with his wife, Amy Kelly Bell, her aunt, the actress Mary Steenburgen, and her husband, actor Ted Danson, collaborated with Oxford American Magazine and then-publisher Warwick Saban to open South on Main Restaurant in the summer of 2013. That's a lot of name-dropping right there. Today, we're going to talk about the business of opening and running a restaurant, about life as a professional chef, what it's like to have celebrity in-laws who give you a shout-out on the Jimmy Fallon late-night talk show, <laughs> and how the Oxford American Magazine's performing arts stage came to be the centerpiece of Chef Bell's restaurant, South on Main. It is a pleasure to welcome to the table the creative, hard-working chef, Matt Bell. Thank you. That was quite an introduction. Did you grow up, grow up hunting, fishing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't even if you grew up in a city, which I didn't, I don't think those are avoidable growing up in Montana. We, um, I think last census just broke a million people in Montana. The whole state? The whole state. Um, so I think Wyoming is less population dense, but just barely. I think we're under one person per mile, per square mile in Montana. Did you grow up eating buffalo and... Uh, not Buffalo. Uh, I was actually raised a vegetarian uh, in Montana. Yeah. That always surprises people. Uh, my dad was, uh, probably pushed for it more than my mom, I think, cause she did the cooking. So she probably didn't, <laughs> would have been easier on her. But, uh, we, um, let's see, I was born in 1978. And so we didn't actually probably start eating meat till I was about four or five years old. And it was either, uh, what my dad had hunted. So deer elk. And then, um, we had bought the, the first house my parents bought, uh, I want to say they paid like $19,000 for it or something. Beautiful farmhouse on like three and a half acres. Um, it, uh, was part of a, a an, an original farm. Um, it was like a a family uh, house that was kind of on the outskirt of the farm. So it housed the, uh, what they call the finishing lot. So once my dad, uh, once we bought it, the, the farmer, um, the rancher, I should say, he um, offered to rent the finishing lot from us so he could still use the finishing lot. What's finishing lot mean? Uh, that's where they go before they meet their maker. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, oh, okay. Finish, yeah. finish them off. Okay, go ahead. Well, yeah, there's some, there's some, uh, specific feeding and stuff they do in the finishing lot. It's, it's, uh, it, it, they're there for, for a couple of weeks before they, they get slaughtered. So, uh, we, in exchange for him using the finishing lot, we got a side of beef. So my dad could see where the cows were. He knew the rancher, he knew what they were eating, what kind of, uh, what kind of antibiotics they were getting or lack thereof. And so at that point, my dad figured that was, that beef was safe. So we'd get a side of beef. I think it was every couple months. Um, so that was really the first, my first experience as a kid with meat was whatever, uh, the cow was out there. And then a couple of weeks later we had him. So I remember getting up real early as a kid and, uh, my bedroom was upstairs in this farmhouse and you could go out some kind of French doors onto this porch and uh, you'd look across kind of our driveway to the finishing lot. And if you got up early enough, you could see the guy come and he would uh, harvest the cow, I guess is, that's the nice way to put it. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I think that although I was raised a vegetarian, I really try and stay connected to my food. That's just how I was, uh, how I was raised. We gardened in the Two and a half months, you can plant stuff in Montana, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're, really, we were we're eating um, 
you know, uh, mostly economic reasons, but also for, for envi environmental reasons, we were, we were eating pretty much only what we, what we produce. So. Your family, your dad sounds really interesting. Yeah. He He's was, a Southerner, isn't he? Uh, he was born in Savannah, Georgia, um, but, uh, spent most of his childhood in California and, uh, my, Is he a hippie? Oh yeah, definitely. Got most it. definitely. My parents lived, uh, they met in a tiny town in Northern California called Quincy, which is about 70 miles, um, west of Reno, Nevada, and about 60 miles east of Chico in the heart of the, uh, Sierra Nevadas. And, uh, they moved there. I get well. My dad came back from Vietnam to there, so that was, uh, I, th I believe, seventy four. He came back there, and um, they met, and then they decided that Northern California was just too crowded for them, oh. or at least for him. I don't. My mom grew up in Sacramento, so I think she would have been happy staying close to a city. But uh, they decided that uh, they were going to move to Alaska. And oh, wow. my dad was uh, doing road surveying at the time. So he uh, got on with the crews that were uh, at the time doing the Alcan Highway, which was the first highway that could get you from North America all the way to Alaska, like mm -hmm. a, like one main route rather than all of kind of the community roads you had to take. So they um, got on a ferry in Seattle, the Malaspina, which still uh, is a ferry up there, and uh, went to Anchorage. And uh, that was like beginning of the summer. And then uh, come winter, my mom was pregnant with me and she uh, was... That's about all there is to do in Alaska. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I did some research. That that must have happened before Alaska. Oh. Okay. Um, but they, uh, my mom, they lived in a, a small kind of cabin outside of town. And uh, my mom went to go to work one day, uh, about seven months pregnant with me. And there was a moose that prevented her from getting to her car. And... Uh, Moose are super aggressive. Nobody yeah. realizes that. Um, so that uh, mixed with the cold and the winter and being a California girl, she was like, uh, I got to get out of here. So they decided to move to Stevensville, Montana in uh, in the winter of, of 77, 78. And uh, it just happened to be one of the worst winters on record in Montana. So she thought she was getting away from it. Right. You know, let's go way south and uh, <laughs> let's go to the north way south, I guess. And uh, so they they bought that. They lived in a house just down the road from the house we ended up buying. Uh, and uh, your mother's a good, good, good person. She's a good sport. Yeah. She's a good sport. Yeah. <laughs> Did you grow up eating, uh, e eating a Southern food since your dad was kind of a Southerner? Yeah, we were the only, I'm, I'm the only kid I know in Montana that ever knew what grits were. Mm -hmm. And granted, all you could ever buy was instant grits. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I don't think I had a single friend that ever appreciated that my mom made those for breakfast. I <laughs> thought it was, I thought it was pretty weird. They were like, actually. this is some weird oatmeal. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, is this malt oatmeal? No, man, it's grits. Malt oatmeal. Mm, yeah. Mm, love that stuff. Let's, let's talk about you yeah, becoming chocolate. a chef. Yeah. Is it because you grew up on the land that you wanted to be a chef? Did you always know you wanted to be a chef? Yeah. You know, I think, you know, my mom grew up cooking for us and, and, uh, family meals were, were important for us. And, you know, as we got older, things changed. My sister, um, was a, a very talented, uh, ballerina and she danced probably, oh gosh, I think she danced almost five days a week in Missoula, which was about a 35, 40 minute drive depending. So as I got a little older, that became a little less and less frequent just cause my mom had to drive her, uh, up there. So I, was again a vegetarian uh oh you'd gone back to being a vegetarian yeah my my last two years of high school uh i was a vegetarian you're which, an enormous vegetarian how tall are you uh i am just six foot oh yeah. you look bigger than that yeah well it's the beard um <laughs> but she uh you know she she cooks so much for us and um my sister is kind of a vegetarian still um, but she, um, she just kind of instilled in us, a, a, a real appreciation for actually cooking. And, you know, um, Amy likes to play this game still. I, I had no, uh, my dad read a book that was written in the late sixties called the sugar blues. And it was essentially this 
prophetic book that this guy believed that that refined sugars and corn syrup were going to be lead to um, all these health problems and obesity and addiction to sugars and all these things. Turns out he was right. Yeah, right. Oh, on yeah. The other yeah. But, you know, in the in the 70s and early 80s. That was very progressive. Man, that was uh, that was like the time of like Count Chocula and all that stuff. And I <laughs> uh, I never had sugar cereals when I grew up. I'd go to friends houses and they'd they'd have like regular cereal and just spooning on sugar. And I just, I just never understood it. I never really had that, that taste for it. So Amy, my wife likes to play this game when we're at the store every few months, we, we like to spread it out cause it's, it's going to not be as much fun when it's gone. But, uh, I had fruity pebbles for the first time at 38 years old. Oh. Yeah. Which is a, a total enigma. In, Captain in, Crunch. Uh, I, I've had Captain Crunch. It cuts your mouth. That's weird. I like it. Yeah, um, it's it extremely does? gritty. Yeah, yeah, it, it, like... it kind of cuts the roof of your mouth. It's it's yeah. interesting. So how'd you pick uh, Texas, like Cordon Bleu? Uh, well, when, when I met Amy, I was working at a restaurant. I'd, I'd worked there about seven years. What called state? The, uh, in Montana. Okay. She was uh, a dancer, a modern dance major at the University of Montana. Was when she we a met. friend of your sister's? No, she was uh, a good friend of one of my best friends in the world, Avril, and that's how we met. Uh, we met there, and we were dating, and... I had a bunch of friends over and made a pretty nice dinner. And she was like, why are you, why are you waiting tables? Why don't you, why don't you cook? And, you know, I, I had done two years as a music uh, education major and it kind of, kind of took the love out of it for me. I still love music. I still love playing music, but it wasn't because of my relationship with my band director, who was my band director from fifth grade until the time I graduated, I thought that that was what I was going to do. And it just turned out it wasn't for me. And, and I said, Oh, you know, I'd probably like to go to culinary school, kind of get a jump, jump start on knowing how to work in the kitchen. And I'd been in restaurants since, um, really 1998. I started working when I was still in school, uh, at this place called the shack as a dishwasher. Mm-hmm. and uh, hated washing dishes. So I, I said, oh, yeah, I've, I've bust tables before, which was just a out-and-out lie. And I, I think my manager, Janet, knew it, but she gave me a chance, and it all worked out for the best. But Amy said, you know, you should go to culinary school then if that's what you want to do. So uh, one night we were having dinner, and I put a list of seven cities in front of her, each with a culinary school I was interested in. And uh, I really actually had my eyes on Austin, Texas, and she didn't hesitate and said, oh, well, let's move to Austin. So uh, about a year after that conversation, we packed up all our stuff and Amy's Amy's dad drove straight through the night from Arkansas to Montana with his truck and hooked up our trailer and turned right around and got on the road to Texas. Wow. Yeah. That he's, was before the internet. Amazing. Yeah. That was before the internet. Yeah. We were talking about that. Uh, you know, we had, we still have them. They're kind of commemorative at this point, but we each had a, a road atlas in our car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause that's, I mean, this was, you know, I would say when we moved it, MapQuest wasn't really even a thing. Yeah. Well, you, you do had that. To research yeah, your, you, just, you track your thing and you stay. Follow and, the city signs. Yeah. Here, yeah. Here. And then you get screwed up on a business loop. You're like, why am I downtown? Cause yeah. it says B. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you gotta go around. Yeah. <laughs> So this is a great place to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Chef Matt Bell, owner-operator of South on Main Restaurant in Little Rock, Arkansas. We'll dig in. You hear that pun? We'll dig in to what it's like to open and run an eating establishment, some of the chef's favorite menu items and cooking preferences, how having celebrity in-laws Ted Danson and Mary Steenburgen has played into his business model, and last about his partnership with Oxford American Magazine and their performing arts stage in his restaurant. We'll be back after the break. You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of flagandbanner.com. Over 40 years ago, with only $400, Carrie founded Arkansas Flag and Banner. During the last four decades, the business has grown and changed, along with Carrie's experience and leadership knowledge. In 1995, she launched the business website flagandbanner.com, became an early blogger in 2004, founded the nonprofit Friends of Dreamland Ballroom in 2009, began distributing a biannual publication called Brave Magazine in 2014. And today, she's branched out into this very radio show, YouTube channel, and podcast. This year, stay informed about her upcoming and exciting guests by subscribing to our Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy YouTube channel. For a complete update of happenings on the Flag and Banner campus, like Dreamland Ballroom, 
sneak preview of upcoming Up In Your Business guests, sales at flagandbanner.com, relevant Brave magazine articles, and Carrie's current blog post, join our email list at flagandbanner.com to receive our very popular, all-inclusive, water cooler weekly email. Telling American-made stories, selling American-made flags. The flagandbanner.com. On this week's Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, we're going to revisit a couple of interviews because there's been an evolution in the restaurant downtown Little Rock, South on Main. The Nashville Scene newspaper reports that Little Rock chef Matt Bell is selling South on Main to new ownership. He'll be taking over as executive chef at Gray and Dudley in Nashville. In March of 2019, Carrie visited with Matt Bell. Um, where was your first job? Oh, out of culinary school? Mm-hmm. Uh, restaurant Capeo in North Little Rock. So you left Texas mm-hmm. and you came. There's, a, there's so many students coming out of culinary school in Texas. The, the three jobs I wanted, which were um, Uchi was the first job I wanted, which is this incredible sushi restaurant. Oh. Um, and then there was a place called Zoot and a place called Wink. Those were my top three choices. Were they in Austin? They were all in Austin. Um, and I got uh, offers from all of them. And it was 12 weeks of an unpaid internship. And uh, that just didn't work for me. Uh, you know, that can work for a young kid whose parents are maybe still supporting them, but that uh, that was not the situation I was in. And and Amy and I couldn't support ourselves on one salary. And you can't you can't take an internship, work twelve hours a day, and then have a job. So you've moved. So you decided to move back to Arkansas because your uh, jobs the jobs were picked slim. Well, you know Nancy, Nancy's pretty Nancy's pretty shrewd. That's uh, Amy's that's mother. That's my mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. She you know, the the job offers I was getting were not at places I really wanted to work. I dined at Capeo. I was very impressed with them and and what they were doing. That's the and, Italian restaurant in North Little Rock. Mhm. And so Nancy said, oh, you know, I was down there eating and they said they'd love to hire you. Mm-hmm. So I called and uh did a little phone interview with uh, Eric Isaac and brian isaac and they said yeah come on down kid um and it was it was actually a a fantastic place to work how long did you work there um almost two years i helped them open up our genesee food and then um a guy named a couple named patty and gary davis who at the time were um the private dining directors at the capitol hotel dined at capeo a lot and our genesee food a lot and i got to know them and they invited me out for dinner one night and said just, you know, I know, I know you, you don't want to leave our Genesee food. I know, I know you love the the Isaac brothers, but just, just come have dinner. And, uh, I had a really incredible dinner. The, uh, Lee Richardson was the executive, but the chef at the time in, in Ashley's was uh, a really good friend of mine now named Casty Dabney. Uh, about a week later I had an interview and then I did a stage, which is a working interview and uh, had a really awkward face-to-face interview with mm-hmm. Cassidy. Um, like I said, my dad died when I was young, so I actually do really well in, in women-led situations. That's just kind of my comfort zone, having a, having a single mom and having a younger sister. Like that's, that's where I'm comfortable. That's not everybody, but that's like good for me. And I, I asked her, like, you know, how is it in the industry for a female chef? Like, how is it? And she thought I was <clears throat> um, messing with her. To, mm. to put it nicely and uh we, we got it worked out and she hired me so <laughs> i was actually hired at the capitol hotel as a pastry plater was my title pastry plater yes. talk about starting at the bottom of the barrel uh, yeah i didn't even actually get to make the pastries you just uh, put them on the plate pretty much yeah and then you moved up and moved up well, you know, you you can you can be a pastry plater and you can continue to be a pastry plater or you can get everything you can possibly get done in the shortest amount of time as possible and then start asking every other chef what you could do for them and uh Cassidy appreciated that and and I think that uh, in any restaurant, I think any job, you have to do that to mm-hmm. to really uh, set yourself apart mm-hmm. and I was trying to put myself on the level of Cassidy and Matt McClure uh, up at 21C in Bentonville. Uh, mm-hmm. Also great friend, great mentor. Um, you know, both of those people were incredible to work with. His executive sous chef at the time was working at the Capitol Hotel, Micah Klasky, uh, who is one of my best friends in the world. And he, uh, I'm quite sure, hated me for at least two weeks before. <laughs> he was he was worried I was going to take his job. Um, 
And you should be. You should always be worried about that, I think. Uh, so, so you worked there for four or five years. Five, and I think years. one of the chefs kind of quit or retired and you got to in, you got to move up to head chef, maybe? Well, I, I was I right? uh, my last two years there. I was the uh, I went from pastry plater to roundsman pretty quickly. Roundsman means you yeah, work whoever's uh, station is off that day. So you work a different station every day. So you don't have the advantage of like settling in and knowing your prep every day and being able to do it. It's probably the hardest position in kitchens. And then uh, my last two years there, uh, Micah was promoted to a, our banquet chef, and I was promoted to sous chef of Ashley's. So of you're people. working at the restaurant. You've decided mm -hmm. you're going to open up South on Main. How did that come about? Did Amy do it again? She said, she said, <laughs> Matt, why don't you open up your own restaurant? Uh, Warwick Saban had reached out and said that they were uh, interested in hiring me as a chef for a restaurant they were going to open because they had just moved down here on Main Street. And Warwick Saban was at that time the publisher of Oxford American Magazine. Yes. And and to, to my understanding, uh, I was going to be an Oxford American employee and get to make food. And that, that sounded much better than opening my own restaurant. Uh, but after, after we talked, we, you know, I quickly realized, and then that's kind of, so you and Mark worked out a deal and somehow you ended up being the owner of the restaurant. Well, I thought, I thought we kind of had a deal that I was working for them, but, uh, I realized that, you know, and, and he was upfront that they didn't want to own and run a restaurant. So what, what we have now and, and what we started with was what I call an intellectual partnership between between the brands. So we host all of the um, stage events for Oxford American. It's where we get the page to the stage. So that right now is usually one show a month on their series. Sometimes they'll add um, an extra show or two onto the series, but they do 12 shows a year. And then uh, initially they started with local live and um, I, I've got to give credit at, to, to Ryan Harris yes, with Oxford did. American Man, Magazine. he's done a good um, job. You know, I think Warwick left Oxford American uh, either right the day before we opened or just in the first week that we opened. So um, Ryan has been with Oxford since then and has been a really great partner to work with and a really... Brings in some great talent. And yeah, and he's a very... Uh, uh, reasonable and measured person. Yeah, he is. <laughs> Might not get high highs and low lows with him, but he really, uh, as far as their programming, keeps everything really tight. Which is track. what you need. Absolutely. But it's interesting to me because I'm a business person and I go into your restaurant and I look right in the center of the floor and there is a stage, mm -hmm. which could be tables, which could be turning a profit. How oh. did they... That'd Look. be way too many tables for our kitchen size. Is that what? Is that true? <laughs> Absolutely. I don't want any more tables. Because see, no. the first thing I thought no. is there's dollars, there's dollars, there's dollars. People aren't sitting there. Yeah, but there's dollars there and people watching music too. So do you, when they have an event, mm -hmm. when Oxford American has an event, uh, who pays the band? Oxford American? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we essentially are just the host venue for the night. So they sell the tickets, they sell the tickets, they bring the artist in, they run that entire side of it. And originally, you know, kind of based on what, what Warwick had said, um, they were going to do all of the musical programming and our initial agreement, um, our first year of operation was we were actually not, uh, not that they wouldn't have let us, not that Ryan wouldn't have let us, but we weren't allowed to to book music. Um, and that was quite fine with us. Uh, but as, as Oxford evolved and, and the restaurant evolved, we started booking, um, some of our own music. Um, it started with local live originally. You remember local mm -hmm. live. Oh yeah. I loved it. Um, and then, um, when they, uh, we're not going to continue local live. We started what we call sessions, which is what we have now. So every month we pick a different host for sessions. And is that the concert series? Is that what sessions? That's is our called? Wednesday concert series. That's your actual. Yeah, their concert series is Oxford American. Oh, so, so you do have two. You have two. You have yours now and theirs. Yeah, and uh, so anything that isn't an Oxford American event is is music that we have booked. So you 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 not only had a uh, partnership with. Uh, Oxford American, mm -hmm. but you also partnered with, let me tell everybody that your wife's aunt is Mary Steenburgen, mm -hmm. who I don't know if you know this. I went to high school with her. I've heard that. <laughs> She's my drill team major. Dog, Dogtown for life. Dogtown for life. So uh, I think it sounds romantic when uh, movie stars want to own restaurants and they do a lot. Did they partner with you on that? 
They did, yes. And didn't yes. they give you a shout out on Jimmy Fallon's show? They did, they did. They always uh, take great care of us when they when they have an opportunity to mention it. <laughs> so how do you meld all the the places you've lived and the food and the way you've eaten into your menu now that you have? Well, I th- I think I I owe a lot of what I do to to the people I've worked with, and and those people happen to be Arkansas natives, Cassidy Dabney again, and Matt McClure, um, but Cassidy especially, you know, she is very deliberate in the story she tells with her food, and now she's in in Wallen, Tennessee, at Blackberry Farm, and there's there's different products and different produce, and she might be telling a different story. But she she lets the ingredients um, kind of lead her in how she's going to tell that story. And, so and the ingredients come from the season, uh, absolutely from the season and and also the locale. Um, she gets stuff up there now that she wasn't able to get here when we were in when Arkansas. Um, what is you it know, you love about they have, cooking? They have ramps and stuff. Uh, honestly, uh, you know, I think I think it's a caring thing. I think it's really uh, a way to show people that that you do want to nurture them and you do want to take care of them. And when you ask, um, if you were to go say to, to Germany and say, what, what is American food? They're, they're going to give you the burgers. They're going to say that, but then they're going to start naming things like fried chicken and, Mm. and greens. And, you know, there's a, there's a, unique thing about southern food that that is more american than any other food in montana you don't grow up with a fat stack of bound recipes from your grandparents because quite frankly people have only lived there for a little over 150 years you know as far as as americans you know and so you know there's no there's no unique food story in montana we actually take kind of whatever's happening in Seattle. And surprisingly, most Montana cuisine has a very Pan-Asian flair because mm-hmm. of the the Asian influence in Seattle. Um, you see that translated into Montana. So I just, uh, what I love about Southern food is being able to tell that story of, of this place and that time. And what's your and favorite moving dish? Forward. Something <sighs> trotters? <clears throat> no, I honestly like I'm I, I just love the field peas, specifically crowder peas. They're my absolute favorite pea. Is that a new thing? A uh, crowder pea? Is that a new thing for you to be in love with? Um does, does it move around what you're in love with? Not really. I mean, field peas are field peas are a thing. Uh I love making fermented hot sauces. Um mm. but I really, you know, I just I just think that. It, it, it's so cool that in the South, you will have a cookbook that has hundreds of years of family recipes. Mm-hmm. You just don't get that everywhere in the country. It's because people have been here longer. But, you know, those Southern foods that we love the most, greens, mm-hmm. field peas, fried catfish, cornbread. fried chicken, cornbread, those are actually all African foods. And we wouldn't have those and we wouldn't think of those as something that are ours. And granted, I think that that now... They are Southern foods. We've changed them and adapted them to what we have here. But, you know, the real uncomfortable conversation is that that without this slave trade, uh, tomatoes would not be here in this country. Okra would not be here. Um, bene seeds, which are sesame seeds, um, rice. Uh, the only reason we cultivate these things and get to have these things is, is because of that slave trade. So you kind of have to... Uh, you have to acknowledge that and and accept that and and realize that there is some really unique history to these southern foods that people think of like oh well that's my grandma's well it's it's way further than your grandma yeah. and it's it's just really interesting and a really unique story to look at southern food that way i didn't ever get to ask you how that name came about all right. So Danny Meyer's book, he says that you should call things what they are. Uh, he had Union Square Cafe because it was on Union Square. He had 11 Madison Park because that was the address he had. And he doesn't say name it an address, but the first restaurant he opened that wasn't exactly what it was, was a place called Blue Smoke Cafe. And it was a barbecue restaurant in New York. And it was one of the only restaurants that he's ever had that was a failure. Call it what Don't it is. Don't be cute. Call it what it is. So, I agree with that 100%. Yeah, so my... Uh, my best friend, Christopher, he called me, uh, driving one night. He was actually drunk and he was riding in the passenger seat and he calls and he says, I got it. I was like, you got what? He's like, I know what you're going to call it. I was like, okay. He's like, it's South on Main, man. And then he pretty much hung up. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, well, shoot, 
that is it. That is it. That is good. That's good. On today's show, Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, we're revisiting the evolution of the restaurant south on Main. You've just heard an interview with Matt Bell from March of 2019. He's selling the restaurant. But good news for fans, Rock City Eats reports that Don Dugan and Tasha Stratton are purchasing south on Main. They currently operate Dugan's Pub, Dizzy's Gypsy Bistro, and Stratton's Market. In May of 2017, Kerry visited with Don about his long history in Little Rock restaurants and his philosophy of business. My guest today is restaurateur Don Dugan, owner, operator, founder of Dugan's Pub and Stratton's Market in downtown Little Rock, Arkansas. For 30 years, Dugan has built an extensive and expansive career in the culinary industry. Like so many in his field, he began as a server and a dishwasher. In an interview, Dugan was quoted saying, I waited tables in college and really loved the business. Yes, he did. Dugan moved up the restaurant business ladder, taking promotion and changing companies as his knowledge, pay, and responsibility grew. What began as a busboy at Shoney's led to jobs at Shorty Smalls, Chanel Country Club, Kelly's Bistro, Julie's, and The Afterthought, just to name a few. In October of 2010, Dugan's Pub opened. Not long after this, Don saw an opportunity to buy the building space next door to Dugan's Pub and opened Stratton's Market, which today operates as both a neighborhood grocery store and a package store. Welcome to the table, successful restaurateur and now grocery store owner, Don Dugan. Hello, hello. You have a nice radio voice. Thank you. You've done this before. Once or twice, but I like it. It's fun. So you have extensive training in the restaurant business. I do. If there's a job to be done in the restaurant, aside from sommelier, I don't think that there's any other job in the restaurant that I have not done. However, I can probably pick out different types of wine, different styles of wine. Probably can't give you a year or what's out of the hill it was grown on. You know, that's that's a little in-depth for me, and I'm not a trained sommelier, however... I do enjoy wine and working at Chanel Country Club and Pleasant Valley Country Club and then at La Scala and the Afterthought. Those are places that I really got the opportunity to try to hone that skill. And that was something that I enjoyed doing a lot. Is that why you put a 12-foot wine wall in your grocery store? (laughs) Partially, because I like wine. (laughs) Who doesn't like wine? Come on. Uh, I Don't Don't answer that question. I'm not going to answer that question. (laughs) So tell us about starting from college when you first started and got the restaurant bug and which I think a lot of people have we kind of talked about that before the show started everybody in this room's kind of had the fantasy that they were going to be a restaurateur I honestly didn't really want to be in the restaurant business but when I was in college I had worked at a couple restaurants in high school and they were you know fast foodie type places and, and also Shoney's but I was in the kitchen at Shoney's and when I went to college mom said well it's great. I can help take care of some of your bills, but you're going to have to get a job. And I said, oh, okay. So I went and there's another guy that I was talking to that ended up being my roommate. His name is Brian Bell. He lives in North Central Arkansas in Mountain Home. He's a contractor up there and a really nice guy. So if, you get, if you're in that area, need somebody, give him a call. What's his oh, name? Brian Bell. There you go. He Is does uh, Bell Construction or something? Yeah, okay. I, th- I believe that's right. Okay. So he and I were talking and we were like, well, let's go out and found a job. So we went, you know, cause his parents had told him he needed a job too. So we went out to different places and applied. And one of the places that we both put in an application was this place called Poncho's Mexican restaurant in Jonesboro. In Jonesboro. And it was right on Caraway there, I believe. And we both ended up getting hired at the same time. And at that time he wasn't my roommate, but then he wound up being my roommate throughout that semester. He wanted to get out of the dorms and move in with me. So we, Started waiting tables there and really enjoyed it. We were probably two of the most competitive people in that place. For tables or something? But just in general. Yeah, I'm a fairly competitive person. I don't like to lose very often, but I do. Don't get me wrong. But I try to win every chance I get. So, But we would kind of have contests with each other and with other people on staff. You know, this wasn't anything that was sanctioned by the management. It was just something that we just did because we wanted to Like what we wanted kind to of contest? Well, like to see who could sell the most every day and then who could sell the most of this item or this item or this sell the item. Most margaritas or, or something. Well, it would have been had there been alcohol there, but there wasn't alcohol there. But I did enjoy waiting tables and it was fun and we had a good time and it just seemed like a really cool gig. Well, when I left there, came back home, 
and started working at Shorty Smalls. I'd applied at like seven or eight places in town and that were all kind of on the west side of town because I grew up over there right by Breckenridge Village. And you applied, got a job at Shorty? I, I applied at Shorty Smalls and started waiting tables there. And then I started to understand what the whole pushing each other and, and sales contests and, and things like that were for. One of the things that they did at Shorty's that I thoroughly enjoyed was if you were in the top three in sales, then you got to write your own schedule. So if you were, if you what a good idea. I mean, and they did it, you know, on your per person average. So if you had 20 people that came in and they spent X amount of money and somebody else had 20 people that came in and they spent less, well then your per person average is more, right? So if your per person average was higher, then you got to write your own schedule. And whoever was second got to write their own schedule, but they couldn't conflict with what you wanted. And whoever was third could write their own schedule, but they couldn't conflict with everybody else. And then the other folks that were, you know, down below that didn't make it, that were fourth, fifth through 12th, all just kind of had to take what was left. That's such a good idea, but it sounds kind of like a nightmare for the person <laughs> having to keep up with with, with sales well, and hours. It wasn't great for them, I'm sure. However, it created work for management, but it was good for y'all and motivating. Oh, it was motivating for us. We sold a lot, and it was fun. And out of the, do you do that at Dugan's? No, we don't currently. It's and, too much work for management. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've got a very limited management staff, <laughs> which basically would all fall on me, and I'm not really interested in doing it. Okay. But I just go and, and motivate people in other ways. And, you know, we have other kind of sales contests and things like that. You know, we'll play like server bingo and, and stuff. So we put, you know, a, a bingo page up there, and each, there are, you know, each different food items or drink items that we've got on our menu. We'll, put those on there and then you know sell them okay today's cover all today it's just you know make five or whatever the case may be so i know it's kind of goofy but it is fun and you know we'll we'll do different prizes for them whether it be you know a a 25 dollar gift certificate to dugan's that they can either keep themselves or they can turn it in right at that moment and keep 25 dollars cash if they win or sometimes probably eat free at dugan's because you probably don't know it but your employees are giving them (laughs) meals all the time you know one of the things that i never complain about is people eating food which sounds totally opposite of what you would think, right? So guys in the kitchen, I figured out a long time ago that if you give people the keys to the kingdom, more often than not, they're not going to take it. Does that make sense? Yeah. But if you're the guy standing there holding the keys going, you're never getting them, then they're going to take anything they can get. And they're going to do it sneakily behind your back. And then all of a sudden you're creating a situation where they have to be untruthful with you and they have to try to figure out a way to you know, get around you. I don't want that kind of culture. I don't want that kind of environment. No. And, and I don't want that kind of workplace. I'm not that kind of person. And I sure don't want to have to be that guy. That guy sucks. I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> well, I, he does. I, I don't want to be the guy that stands over you like an overlord the whole time going, don't touch that. I hate micromanaging. Oh, I don't have that kind of time in my life. And I don't want my management staff spending that kind of time on that. So, you know, we just tell all the guys in our kitchen, it's like, look, if you're hungry, eat. I mean, I don't know what these guys are doing when they're off work. You know, I don't know what their lives are like outside of, you know, the, my four walls. It may be that that meal that they have with me is the only meal they get that day. I don't know. You know, sirloin. It's probably not that way, but I don't know that. So I would much rather. You know, sirloins in would let us come in before we had a shift and would feed us. Right. We all got there before our shift, so they would feed us. Well, and one of the things at Chanel and at Pleasant Valley, they always had what they called staff meal or family meal. Oh, there you go. And did the same kind of thing. It's a good time to take a break. When we come back, we're going to hear Don Dugan's path to success at both Dugan's Pub and Stratton's Market, which I think is named after your wife. It is. We are going to ask him why he thinks Dugan's Pub has been so successful and what advice he has for up-and-coming want-to-be restaurateurs. Arkansas Flag and Banner is proud to underwrite Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. McCoy began this broadcast with the intention of offering a mentoring platform for those with an entrepreneurial spirit. Through candid conversations and interesting interviews with business and community-minded Arkansans, listeners gain insight into starting and running a business, the ups and downs of risk-taking, and the commonalities of successful people. Carrie McCoy, founder and president of Arkansas Flag and Banner, believes in paying knowledge and experience forward and developed this radio show as a means of doing so. The biographies, life experiences, and wisdom of her guests would likely go unheard if not for this venue. Rarely do people open up for an hour to an audience about their life mistakes, triumphs, and pitfalls. 
This unique radio show allows the listener intimate access into the stories of prominent leaders in our state. I'm Adrienne McNally, manager of the Arkansas Flag and Banner Showroom and Gift Shop, located on the first floor of the historic DeBorean Hall on the corner of 9th and State Streets in downtown Little Rock, Arkansas. Open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5.30, and Saturday, 10 to 4. I read Dawn. Yeah, actually, everybody calls you Dugan, don't they? Well, both. Do they? Some other names I can't I really Dugan say on the air, but oh. yeah. Here and there I get those, but not, not, not all too often, hopefully. <laughs> they may be behind my back, I don't know. <laughs> I read in one of your interviews where you paid homage to many of your past bosses and the lessons that you learned from each one of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you were really... I was extremely lucky. I had some really great mentors and Eric still do. Eric from the Chanel Country Club expanded yep. your knowledge and customer service. Eric Bouget. And I miss that guy like I can't even tell you. Um, sadly, he did pass oh. away. Right before I bought Markham Street, Eric passed away probably three or four months before I bought Markham Street Grill and Pub. <laughs> Out of all the people that I wanted to talk to about opening a business or running a business, he was the one. And sadly, I just, I don't know. I couldn't have a face-to-face with him. I did have a talk to him, to him, I guess, you know. And hopefully he's still kind of looking down and going, Doogie, what are you doing? So I don't Where's know. Where's he from? He's from Marseille, France. Well, I wish people could see your face because <laughs> you really do miss him. I do. I still do. And, you know, every now and then I get to talk to his son, Christopher, and that's nice. And Christopher's a, a good guy. He's down in Florida, I believe, with his wife and now child. So I think good bosses make you a good boss. And then from the Pleasant Valley Country Club, you learned a lot about fine dining. I did. They had two separate, well, three separate dining areas there. They had the men's grill downstairs, but they also had kind of mixed grill upstairs. And then they also had a fine dining area upstairs. And the fine dining area, I learned an awful lot about formal service, which at the time that I started working there, I was about 22. And I'd been exposed a little bit, but not a whole lot. I mean, my mother's from Greenville, Mississippi, and her mother is from Greenville, Mississippi. So learning Southern hospitality was something that was in my family for a long time. And learning the formal service just in a home was something that I already was kind of familiar with, but never formal service on how to do it in a restaurant. And so it just felt very comfortable and very natural to me. There's some steps that you know, they get lost here and there in other restaurants. And it just felt like I knew I was supposed to be there at that time. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I really enjoyed it. And I learned a lot there. The chefs that were there were really good that I worked under. I was only there for a brief period. And then I got hired on by Eric at Chanel Country Club. So Kelly's Bistro. Yeah taught you team building and to work anywhere needed, kitchen, waiting tables, tending bar, hosting, managing. And that was a place that I really missed that place too. Kelly's Bistro was owned by Craig and Diane Kelly. Craig's father was Al Kelly and his brother is Dick Kelly, who was married to Virginia Kelly, which is Bill Clinton's oh, yeah. wife. So, so that's kind of that whole crazy connection. And Craig and Diane had, were living, I think at the time in New Orleans, and Al decided that he wanted his one and only son Al and Nancy Kelly decided that they wanted their one and only son at home in Little Rock and they opened a restaurant for him and called it Kelly's Bistro. Craig trained in France to be a chef and then also at Le Cordon Bleu, like actually at Le Cordon Bleu, and then had worked in New Orleans at Commander's Palace and also out in Vegas at a few other places. Craig had incredible skill. I mean, great skill as far as being a chef. Oh, it's chef. Yeah. Oh, he was an incredible chef. And came up with some really odd combinations that I was like, how in the heck is that going to work? And That's then the way it I does. felt when I heard shrimp and grits. I was like, what? <laughs> he did this one dish that I, it just popped in my head. It was Midori shrimp. So he took Midori, like the melon liqueur, oh, and yeah. reduced it down and mounted it with butter. And then sauteed shrimp and put the shrimp in there with it. And then did the, the sauce all over the... I mean, it was like a neon green plate. And it had shrimp on it. It was fantastic. It sounds fantastic. It was fantastic. I've tried to emulate it or I've tried to repeat it. And I'm not as successful as he was at it. But, you know, it's something that we kind of do around our house every now and then. But then it's, believe me, it's every now and then. Sauces are tricky. You either his, have a knack for it or you don't. Right. At the time, his wife, Diane Kelly, kind of ran the front of the house. Craig ran the back. And, you know, there were times that we were there. Dishwasher might not show up or you know, he needed help in the kitchen. If I just happened to be off work and happened to be in there having a drink, and he'd be like, hey, man, come back here and help me. Uh, well, okay, as long as I hadn't had too much, you know. Yeah. So 
So I'd go back there and help him saute. And I just watching what he did, learned how to do a lot of what he did. And when I was working at Chanel, also had kind of the same scenario. I was the front of the house manager, but I mean, every now and then something happens and you got to go in the kitchen, you know, and mm-hmm. you got to help out. So mm-hmm. I've never shied away from doing anything. You know, I, I always figured if anything, I would make myself more valuable to wherever I am because I know how to do these things. I don't think people realize that when you say it's not in my job description, you're limiting what you're limiting your value. You know, I have a pretty simple phrase around our place. If somebody ever looks at you and says, that's not my job. Guess what? You're right. It's not. There's the door. I'll find somebody else who's not scared. Thanks. Yeah, that's right. And yet, Julie's, you spent a lot of time in the kitchen. And, <laughs> yeah, I did. And then at La Scala and the Afterthought, you learned the nuts and bolts of running a profitable business. And that's Correct. where so many restaurateurs make Fail. a mistake. Fail. Well, they do. And Wally Geringer, who now owns Krebs Brothers. Oh, really? At, Correct. At the time, he and his two partners owned La Scala and the, and the Afterthought. And I learned more from Wally about how to, you know, work a, a balance sheet and a, a profit and loss statement and you know, how to actually control labor and food costs and how that translates into profit, which translates into being able to pay people and making sure that you're making payroll and paying yourself, which is what a lot of people seem to forget. You know, they get in the restaurant business and think, well, as long as I can cover all my bills, I'm good. Well, no, you got to pay yourself too. I mean, you got a house note, you got kids, or well, at least I did. You know, I've got a house note, kids, cars. I mean, you got things that you got to pay for. Do you so, look at your financials, your income statement, and balance sheet every month? Every month. See, I don't think a lot of people do. No, they don't. I know when I was a young business person, I did not. I didn't even know the difference between a balance sheet and an income statement. <laughs> Before I started working for Wally, I really didn't. And I feel sorry for my accountant. He had to go, okay, your income <laughs> statement is what you earned that month and what you spent that month. Right. And then your balance sheet is how much money you have in your checking account and how much if you own in your assets. Right. And your and liability. What are the liabilities you have? I mean, if you if you have a loan for your business, you know, that's coming out of your balance sheet. It doesn't show up on your P and L, but it shows up on your balance sheets and whatever you pay yourself does too. Was there something after all these restaurants that caused you to just say, I think I'm gonna go out on my own and start my own restaurant? You know, it's funny, after I left La Scala, I went back to Kelly's Bistro, and then Craig and Diane ended up getting a divorce, and then they wound up selling the restaurant, and they sold it to a guy that we were all, I mean, we were all friends, and they ended up selling it to him, and in the year and a half that he owned it, I could kind of see the decline coming, and I knew the end was near. Actually, what happened was Kelly's went out of business while I was traveling, right? Which, I mean, I knew it was coming. I could see it. And this other guy that was a customer of ours, Rick Millerick, took it over. And he turned it into Markham Street Grill and Pub. Well, Rick had never been in the restaurant business before, but he always thought it'd be really cool to get in the restaurant business. And he struggled a lot with it. And I talked to him on the phone quite a bit while I was traveling. You know, I mean, I'd call in, hey, you doing all right? And he called me and asked me questions about things. And when I, I was home one weekend... And I just said, hey, listen, I know you're not in great health. He was having some medical issues and was going to have to have surgery. And so I said, well, why don't you let me just come in and run your restaurant for you for a couple months while you're you know, going through this and recuperating? And he was like, okay. And so we did that. And before he went in for surgery, we were there one night. I told him I needed to work a couple of weeks to kind of you know, get things straight and figure out my bearings and figure out exactly where everybody that was on staff was so I would know how to manage things correctly. And I said, man, why don't you just let me be your partner? He was like, okay. <laughs> I love and this I guy. I said, wow. All right. <laughs> we had a couple more drinks. And I said, why don't you just tell me the whole thing? He was like, okay. I mean, that was our negotiation. I'm really not joking. And, and people look at me like it couldn't have been that easy. It genuinely was that easy. I think everything around you is easy. <laughs> well, sometimes. But, you know, I went home that night, woke my wife up and said, hey, I think we just bought a restaurant. And so how'd you get the money? <laughs> he just He just let you pay him out? No. you have to go to the bank? I did. I went to, at that time, it was first commercial? No. Because banks don't like to loan restaurants money. I know. But I got it at a really great price. My father did co-sign for me. The guys that I worked with were, gosh, I guess it was first commercial bank at the time. They changed names so much. I, I know. It's hard keep to keep up. up. I know. But the two guys that I went to go see were in charge of the lending department, and they were customers anyway, so they knew the potential of what was there. Oh. They knew me. I mean, they'd known me for about five years, so they knew that. I wasn't just some Yahoo going, sweet, we're going to get a restaurant. We're going to drink it up. You know, I mean, how old not... were you when you bought that restaurant? I was 32. 
33? That's a good age to buy a restaurant. So, yeah, I was old enough that I was going to be a complete and total moron. Not that I wasn't upon occasion. But, but young you know. enough to stand on your feet and have the energy to do a restaurant. It is hard right. work. Yes, ma'am, it is. But I'm used to it. You know, it's it's just what I do. I enjoy it. I'm very lucky to have a job that I enjoy doing. I count my lucky stars every day and say thanks to the man upstairs because that's honestly the only reason I'm here doing what I do and I enjoy doing what I do. I mean, my father always told me when I was growing up, he said, listen, I don't really care what you do. Just find something you enjoy doing and you'll find a way to get paid for it. Don't worry about the money aspect. And I was like, pop, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But it did. But it did. And so far it's done okay. So it went from Kelly's Bistro to Markham. Markham Street Grill and Pub. Rick turned it into that and and I bought it from Rick. Many, many restaurants failed. Dugan's Pub was successful right out of the gate. What made that happen? Well, I was trying to find a place downtown that I wanted to go and we looked at a couple different places. I looked at Villa Rouge at that time, which is now Big Whiskey's, and put in a bid for that spot. But at the same time, somebody else had already put in a spot, a bid for that spot, which was Daniel from Big Whiskey's. And I, I didn't realize that at the time that we were making the bids. And then Daniel, they went with his bid as opposed to mine because and it's still on market. you didn't get that one, so Dugan's didn't, came Didn't up. get that. And about a, month, about a month later, I got a phone call from one of the guys at Moses Tucker that we'd been talking to. And he said, man... I've got a couple of places I want you to come look at. And I said, well, okay. So my wife and I loaded up. We came down, met him, and we walked over to the corner of Third and Rock. Oh. And it was it- in the bottom of River Market Tower. And so I walked to that corner and I looked northwest and then I looked back to the east and I looked south. And I said, you know, every car that comes to this intersection has to look this way at this corner where we would be if we were here. And my wife said, yep, it sure would. So every person that drives past there is going to have to look at our building and see what we are before they keep going. And you are so right on. It goes better there than it does where you were, where right. you originally looked at it. It really uh, does. Absolutely. What are your hours? We are open at 11 o'clock every day. Every uh, day? Every day, Monday through Friday. When do you close? We close at 1, Monday through Thursday, 2 on Friday, and 1 on Saturday. Oh, my. And, at night? Yes, ma'am. And oh my gosh, uh, 10 o'clock on Sunday, so... Oh but our my kitchen's God. open till midnight every day. So except, no way, except for Sunday. You mean you can eat down there till midnight? Oh yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, absolutely. There's nowhere so you, that does that. Right. That's why we do. And there's people that work in restaurants that get off work and they're like oh, hungry. We're, I don't want to go to Waffle House. I don't you get out of the you get out of the Great, movie don't go there. Come and here. you can't go get a dinner. Right. Except for the faded rose stayed open. You stay up right. till eleven. They still do. You serve <laughs> dinner till midnight. Yeah, yeah. Every night, but Sunday night. Right, and everything we do, we make fresh. We have one small chest freezer there, like what you can buy at Home Depot. It's literally like the size of our one of our tables at, at work, and that's it. But everything else is done fresher. We don't do it. Oh, my gosh, we've got to go. I'm so glad you came on today. You are so interesting. And finally, to our listeners, thank you for spending time with me. If you think this program has been about you, you're right. But it's also been for me. Thank you for letting me fulfill my destiny. My hope today is that you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. Be brave and keep it up. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. For links to resources you heard discussed on today's show, go to flagandbanner.com, select radio, and choose today's guest. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week. Stay informed of exciting upcoming guests by subscribing to our YouTube channel or podcasts wherever you like to listen. Carrie's goal is simple, to help you live the American dream. <laughs>